take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. Before I begin today, let me request two things of you. First of all, the preschool is having their uh, big Christmas program on Thursday evening. Be in prayer for that. Uh, this sanctuary will be full, and uh, the children are putting out a little program, but just that the people that come, the parents that come, some of them we're, we're trying to reach and share the good news of Jesus with, that God would just use that for His glory and His purposes. And then would encourage you to be here next Sunday morning and bring somebody with you for this choir music and the, the special Christmas music because it does have a message that is going to, you know, touch our hearts and hopefully touch other people's hearts as well. So let's see if we can pack this place out Sunday morning as well. All right. I'm going to begin a series of Christmas sermons, and we're going to focus this year on Jesus. I guess that's appropriate. And uh, see if we could think about, you know, who Jesus is, why he came, what he does, what he does for us. We'll be thinking along those lines this morning. Today we're going to be thinking about him as our all-sufficient Lord. Our all-sufficient Lord. Probably work better if I turned it on. Gloom and darkness. People in the prophet's time were going through a time of gloom and darkness. The Israelites were being invaded time and again by their strong, warlike neighbor to the north, Assyria. And they would come in and attack the place. They would come in and sometimes carry off hostages, or they weren't really hostages, just take them away forever. And sometimes they would come in and they would take more territory and more territory, and the people were wondering, when is this going to stop? Why is our king so efficient? Why can't our armies do better? We're going through this and going through this and going through this. It was a time of gloom and darkness. And as so often happens, when you're going through a difficult time, sometimes you're tempted to look in the wrong place for help. And that's what these did. If you look at chapter 8, beginning at verse 19, you see the people going to the wrong kind of help. When men tell you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony. In other words, back to the Bible. If they do not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. And when they become famished, they will become enraged. And looking upward, recurse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Darkness and gloom are confronting those people. Darkness and gloom was what the people were facing right before Jesus was born. Or you see where the people of God were living then and had been taken over by the Romans. And the, the Romans ruled there. And the Romans taxed heavily there. And the Romans did what they pleased there. And the Romans, you know, could come up to you and say, do this for me, and you had to do it. And on top of that, their religion had become an oppressive religion, keeping rules and regulations and doing this and not doing that, and that's about all it amounted to. And it was an oppression too. From society and from religion, gloom and darkness. 
gloom and darkness in our land today. People turning away from the Lord God who brought us into being and has blessed us as a nation and continues to bless us and help us, and yet we decide to go after other gods. We decide we don't need God, that we can get by just fine, thank you, with our own ingenuity and our own strength and our own brain power. Becoming more and more depraved sexually. Becoming a people who have a spirit of lawlessness and we think we can do what we want to do when we want to do it regardless of the consequences to anyone else. The people who are greedy. One of the hymn writers spoke about those who are rich in things and poor in soul. And we see that gloomy dark picture in our land today. Sometimes the gloom and the darkness creeps into our own lives. Sin, health problems, problems with a marriage, problems with children, their grades or their health or their, why in the world are they doing that? Problems sometimes with parents, addicted parents, absent parents, unreasonable parents our own health issues, grief, loss, gloom and darkness. Into a time of gloom and darkness, the prophet of God spoke. And he spoke that God was going to act according to His self-sufficiency to deliver those who were oppressed. Look at chapter 9, verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. God was going to do something to bring light into the darkness. What was going to happen? Look at verse 4. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. The, the oppression was going to be lifted. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. In other words, no longer will you need any implements of war. War will cease and there will be peace. How is this going to be accomplished? How is this all-sufficient God going to do that? Let's see. Verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born... To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now, we knew, we know who the prophet was speaking about, who he was prophesying about. Jesus. Jesus, the child born in Bethlehem. That child, that child came to be the wonderful counselor we need when we're in a time of gloom and darkness, for we get there sometime. 
We get there sometimes because of our sin. Or we get there sometimes because of circumstances. Or we get there sometimes because what of others have done. And we end up in that time of gloom and darkness and we need a counselor and Jesus is that counselor we need. Jesus is a wonderful counselor. He's a wonderful counselor because He listens with compassion. Do you ever need somebody just to listen to you? Just to be able to sit down and say, let me tell you what's going on. Man, that's a wonderful thing if you have somebody that will listen to you. Jesus listens. He listens. Somebody won't listen to you, you clam up. Jesus listens and He listens with compassion. If He doesn't have compassion, well, you know, you might as well go talk to an ATM machine. You know, what, what difference is it going to make? Jesus listens. Remember one time Jesus was going through Jericho? And there was a blind beggar calling out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And the people were telling him to quiet down. Jesus wasn't concerned about him. He had other business to do. And above all of the noise that the crowd was making, Jesus said, bring that man here. He heard him. He asked him what he needed, and he told him he was blind. And Jesus gave him insight. He heard. Jesus hears. He listens with compassion. Jesus instructs us in behavior that produces good results. Good results. Think about what this counselor tells us to do and not to do. Jesus tells us to forgive. Ooh, kind of hard. But if we're going to be emotionally healthy, we've got to do that. Jesus tells us to turn from our sin and to accept God's forgiveness. And then we can pass it on to others. Jesus says, don't be anxious. Again, that can get kind of hard, but Jesus says, God feeds the birds. He clothes the flowers. You don't have to worry. He's going to take care of you. Jesus says, don't be anxious. Jesus says, put your treasure in the right place. Don't put it on earth where it will corrode and fade and be gone. Put it in heaven where it will last. Jesus said, don't be greedy. Don't be greedy. He said a man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. A lot of people didn't hear that about Black Friday, did they? <laughs> Jesus says, no adultery. Don't commit it. Don't get involved in it. Run from it. Jesus said, use your talents. Put them to work and use them for the right things. Yeah, he's a good counselor. He tells us the things we need to do if we really want to experience the abundant life here on earth. Jesus is a counselor who expects responsibility. Now, we like to find counselors who will excuse us, who will try to place the blame somewhere else. You know, it's your heredity. It's your environment. And, you know, man, we think that's pretty good, but yes, we know deep down inside it's us. We're not puppets. We have freedom. We have self-awareness. Jesus calls us to take responsibility. And you know what? That's a blessing. Because if it's something else, we can't do anything about the problem. If it is us, we can. 
We have hope. We could, we could change the situation. We could change how we react. We could change ourselves. Jesus calls us to take responsibility. Do you remember when they brought the woman to him that was caught in the very act of adultery? And, well, the first thing he did is, you know, kind of stared down her accusers and made them all run away. And then he said to her, I don't condemn you. And then he said something else. Go and sin no more. He forgave, but he said, you're responsible. Don't do that again. Stop it. You're responsible for how you live. Something else about Jesus is the wonderful counselor. He gives another chance. He gave that woman another chance. After Simon Peter had denied him three times, he gave him another chance. He restored him and let him preach the first Christian sermon that was ever preached. He gives a second chance. When we disappoint him, he gives us another chance. When we fail, he gives us another chance. When we sin, he gives us another chance. He says, I'll let you start over. I'll give you a second chance. Oh, isn't he a wonderful counselor? So that's about Jesus. Jesus is the mighty God. Jesus is God. John 1, 1 through 3. Sums this up so well. Remember that word there with the capital W means the Christ, Jesus? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made, and nothing was made that has not been made without Him. Wow. Jesus is God. He is co-creator. Think about the mighty things that Jesus did while He was here on earth. He fed the hungry. Fed 5,000 plus with a little boy's lunch. He healed the sick over and over again. You see Him bring healing. He raised the dead. He raised the widow of Nain's son from the dead while he's been carried out to be buried in his casket. He raised the little girl, went in and took her by the hand and said, little girl, I say to you, get up. And even though she was dead, she became alive again. He raised Lazarus out of the tomb after he'd been dead four days. He himself was raised. Jesus was raised from the dead. Jesus is the mighty God. He is the life giver. He's the life giver. No wonder that John went on and said, in him was life. And, and you remember when Thomas wasn't there when he first appeared to the disciples after the resurrection, and he was there the next week, and Jesus appeared and he spoke directly to Thomas and said, if you want to touch me, cut on over and do it. And why did Thomas say, my Lord and my God? Jesus is the mighty God. Jesus is the everlasting Father. Now, that's kind of an unusual name for Jesus, isn't it? We don't usually think of Jesus as Father. Jesus didn't have any children. We usually think of Jesus as the Son, and God as the Father, and that's right. But think about something. He deals with our sins. Do you remember Jesus told a parable about 
father dealing with his wayward son. He called it the parable of the prodigal son. Then you know the story. The boy took his inheritance early, ran off, lost it all with all kinds of foolish things in his life, you know, became destitute, decided, well, I'll go back home. You know, I can at least be a servant in my father's house and I won't starve to death. And so he went back home. And you remember what the father did? Evidently, the father had been looking for him, longing for him, saw him while he was a long way off, went running to that boy, threw his arms around him, kissed him, forgave him, restored him, made him a son again. That boy knew his father was approachable, but he didn't know he was gracious. But you know what? Jesus shows us that he's the everlasting father because Jesus is approachable. And Jesus is gracious. He does receive us. He does forgive us. He does restore us. He does give us another chance. And He's going to do that as a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. Jesus is the everlasting Father. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. You ever wake up in the middle of the night worrying about something? Most of us do. Preachers do. I have. I've awakened in the middle of the night and be worried about the church. What's going on at church? What's not happening? What needs to happen? What is happening? Remember one time that happened to me when I was pastoring Newberry? Something going on, concerned about it, woke up in the middle of the night, fretting over it, praying, fretting some more. Not taking Jesus' life to not be anxious. I was anxious. And then the Lord spoke to me. And He spoke to me the way He usually does. He brings to my mind a verse of Scripture. And you know what He said? It's in this passage that we read today. What He said to me is the government will be on His shoulders. And I realized that, hey, I don't have to carry that load. Church belongs to Jesus. Jesus brought it into existence. Jesus knows what's going on. Jesus loves those people. Jesus cares for those people. Jesus is going to take care of His church. The government shall be upon His shoulders. The government of your family can be on Jesus' shoulders. That problem you're facing can be on Jesus' shoulders. That challenge that's staring you in the face can be on Jesus' shoulders. The history, the future, the well-being of this church can be on Jesus' shoulders. Because He is the Prince of Peace. He's the Prince of Peace. He was the one who is preeminent in peace. He was born to bring peace. Remember what the angels said when He was born? Peace on earth. Goodwill to men. When Jesus was born, peace on earth. Jesus lived to bring peace. 
Remember one time he was with the disciples out on the Sea of Galilee and a terrible storm came up and he was asleep and the disciples thought, this is so bad. We're going to drown out here. Jesus, get up. And Jesus got up and looked around at the storm and the waves and the wind blowing and he said, be quiet. And the wind quit blowing and the waves quit crashing over the bow of that boat, and there was a great calm. Peace. One time Jesus was on his way to help somebody. crowd was with him, following him. A woman who had an issue of blood made her unclean. She kind of sneaked up behind Jesus and touched the, just the hem of his garment. And he stopped and he said, who touched me? And the disciples said, you got a crowd of people around you. What do you mean? Jesus said, somebody touched me. I felt power go out from me. And the woman came and explained what was happening. Jesus said to her, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Go in peace. Jesus lived to bring peace. Jesus died to make peace with God available to us. When we sin, we're at war with God. When we disobey, we're turning our back on God. When, when we get caught up in rebellion against God, we're, we're making God the enemy. We don't have peace with God. Why did Jesus come? Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God. Because of Jesus. Even Isaiah realized it. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him. And by His stripes we are healed. Through the punishment Jesus took on the cross, we can be forgiven and be at peace with God. Why? For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, in Jesus, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. Peace through His blood shed on the cross. Jesus is the Prince of Peace because He makes it possible for us to have peace with God. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. I want you to consider some images as I read some scripture that talk about being Jesus being the Prince of Peace. Last week of Jesus' life, they came to Jerusalem. Jesus sent his disciples and said, Go, go get a donkey and a colt, bring one over here. If anybody says, Why are you taking it? Tell them the Lord needs it. And so the disciples did that. The scripture says in Matthew 21, This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. Very large crowds spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus was going in Jerusalem. 
He was going as a king, but not the kind of king you would expect. He was going as a king, not riding on a horse of war, going on a donkey, coming in peace, coming in peace to make peace, coming in peace to die on the cross and pay the price for our sin so that we might have peace with God. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, going into Jerusalem on a donkey. But the Prince of Peace is coming back. Prince of Peace is going to return. And when the Prince of Peace returns, he's not going to be riding on a donkey. He is going to be riding on that war horse. Listen to what the Scripture says. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and, on his, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And he makes war against all of the enemies of God. And the final result, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. The king coming in his power. Even Isaiah saw what was going to happen. He said he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be on his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Jesus is going to return in glory. Jesus is going to return in power. Jesus is going to overcome all of the enemies of God. Jesus is going to institute the death of destruction of Satan himself. And Jesus does all that to bring peace. Peace not only in our lives, but peace over all creation. And after he does that, man, is it going to be different. Man, is it going to be different? Listen, listen to what Isaiah saw. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra. And the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Who's going to do this? Who's going to make all of this happen? You know who it is. 
It's the all-sufficient Lord. It's Jesus, the wonderful Counselor. Jesus, the Almighty God. Jesus, the Everlasting Father. Jesus, the Prince of Peace. So what do you need to do? You can be rescued from your darkness by the all-sufficient Lord. You can find the help for your struggles through the all-sufficient Lord. You can be led to light and peace by our all-sufficient Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. Why are you standing in the gloom of darkness? Why are you still bearing the yoke of oppression on your shoulders? You can come to the light of the all-sufficient Lord. Let the government be on His shoulders. Give Him the weight. Bring Him your sin. Bring Him your anxiety. Bring Him your problem. Jesus can take it and Jesus can bear it better than you. He's the wonderful Counselor. He's the mighty God. He's the everlasting Father. He is the Prince of Peace. An invitation hymn is 315.